research that resonates. Schweitzer has not been wrong on any of his years and years of reporting on the Bidens. Investigations that matter. If your last name wasn't Biden, do you think you would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. But that's, you know, I, I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that, uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. The only entities, the only people that would report on this, and Peter Schweitzer, who deserves a Medal of Freedom, in my view. This is The Drill Down with Peter Schweitzer. Hi, this is Peter Schweitzer, and welcome to The Drill Down, where we relentlessly expose cronyism, corruption, and the abuse of power in Washington, D.C. The co-host of the program, Eric Eggers. And uh, Eric, today, we're going to talk about cop. Not cops, but cop. Uh, what is cop, and why should people care? Well, we should always care about the cops, right? I mean, <laughs> here at the drill, I'll be very clear about this. We back the blue. And and I look forward to any opportunity to remind a law enforcement official about that. Should we be, you know, face to face in the situation? No, we're talking about something. Cop in this case is an acronym. It stands for the Council of Parties. It's essentially this gathering of people who are trying to do no less than save the planet, Peter. They, save the planet. They came together in 2015 in Paris, and they came up with this agreement. You may know it as the Paris Agreement. Yes. And uh, they decided that they're going to limit global temperature increase to under an average of one and a half degrees, I think, between now and 2015. That's what it's going to take to essentially save the planet. And so those people get together each year to kind of check in on how that's like, hey, we're still saving the planet. How are we, do- how are we doing? <laughs> how are they doing? So this is COP28, 28, 28. which means they've met 28 times. These are climate activists from around the world. Yeah. Uh, well, it used to be climate activists from around the world. Now it's a lot more than that. It is. And it's a large group. How many expected this year? 70,000, they said, were going to be there? So last year was the biggest group ever. I mean, that's yep. what's crazy about this. Is, and you know, imagine like trying to actually solve a problem with 70,000 people. <laughs> <laughs> so so last year was the record attendance because, oh, I guess we're really concerned about this problem. And then this year, it's basically doubled in size. They had 100,000 people register, uh, 70,000 people showing up for a climate change conference. Now, if you're going to say, where do you imagine a climate change conference mm. globally is held? Like, where are we imagining, you know, we're going to talk about kind of wind farms and, you know. Uh, you know, you think like Alaska or maybe San Francisco. Or like Denmark or something. Yeah, Denmark. Denmark is a great selection. But that's not where they went this year. That's not where they went this year. They went to the to Dubai. They went to du- the, oh. the oil nation of Dubai, the United Arab yeah. Emirates. So that's where this new record conglomeration of people have come together uh, to discuss why fossil fuels are bad, kind of. Yeah, and and we're going to talk about that. And this is not just going to be us discussing about, oh, this ridiculous thing that's going on halfway around the planet. This actually affects you in real ways. Part of the reason it affects you is because there's so many companies and international organizations that have bought into this. The other part of it, though, is, is that the Biden administration uh, and, and a lot of congressional Democrats have bought into this concept as well. So we're going to talk about that. Um, they, they have always uh, lamented the fact that you've got oil companies and mining companies that cause carbon problems because they are resource extractors. That's mm-hmm. the term they use. Well, at this conference, it's a little bit different type of resource extraction they're interested in. They're still right? very interested. It turns out they're pro-resource extraction. Oh. <laughs> they're just pro-extraction of the resources of the money from the bad countries to give to the good countries. And it's really interesting if you read some of the reporting on this. You've got people from like the Marshall Islands and people from these small island nations. Vanuatu. 
you just keep saying that. I think you're it's just a great like, name. You're flexing on your geographic. <laughs> Not only do you know about it geographically, you can pronounce it phonetically. And I'm very impressed. So you got people like the, the people from the Marshall Islands guys coming. He's like, listen, the Marshall Islands did not come to this conference to sign its death warrant. Ah. And a Washington Post profile talks about a woman from Nui as a small island nation off the coast of uh, Fiji out near Australia. And, you know, she says, like, we're going to be underwater. And, and I'm not suggesting that that's not necessarily the case. But their solution to it seems to be, well, then give us lots of money. Right. And that's how actually this conference began. For the first time ever, they've created a loss and damage startup fund Yeah, where the tiny countries who are facing the ravages of climate change now can collect money from the bigger countries who are causing the climate change. And that's actually, to me, what I think is the biggest takeaway and why we should be concerned about this, just because this premise is being introduced like carbon into the atmosphere. But I think it's actually much more damaging. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and you're quite right. Um, they are ramping up the threat. John Silk, great name, Minister of Natural Resources and Commerce for the Marshall Islands, said at the meeting, the Republic of the Marshall Islands did not come here to sign our death warrant. As you said, we came to fight for the 1.5 that's the implement of, mm. of degrees that they're trying to control. And for the only way to achieve that, a fossil fuel phase out. Now, <laughs> I want to point out something obvious here. Isn't it kind of makes sense if you're from a tiny island nation, you don't need as many fossil fuels, right? To get around the country, it's not so far. I mean, to me, it's it's kind of a ridiculous thing for them to to to, to claim as the solution because it's not something they desire. But to your point, it's an extractive play because they say if you're not going to get rid of fossil fuels and they know that that the, that the planet's not China's using more and more the United States and Europe use a lot. The answer to that is then give us money. That's going to somehow fix the problem. I'm going to need you to check your climate security privilege at the door, first of all, <laughs> as we talk about the ravages of these small island nations. Right. Like John Kerry, I think, said it best. He said, listen, we're here to make life and death decisions. Uh -huh. yeah. According to people that were in the room with yeah. John, very serious negotiator Kerry. Yeah. He said, quote, this is the last COP that can still keep 1.5 alive. We're on a course to places becoming completely unlivable. Now, that's their reality, Peter. And it's yeah. time you wake up and treat it with severity. And I just need you to write a check, please. And yeah. that will be how yeah. we address this. And that's actually what many countries have done. The, the loss and damage fund, they announced at the beginning of this thing, is up to almost $429 million. Although the United States, to their credit, being criticized mm -hmm. because they have kicked in only $24.5 million. While yeah. Germany has kicked in $100 million. I think UAE has kicked in right. something close to that because they're hosting the thing. The United States apparently doesn't care about small island nations. We're only contributing $25 million to help save their lives. Yeah, and that $25 million is not very well invested. But part of the absurdity to this to me is that their, their goal is not to actually reduce – their measure of success is not actually reducing carbon emissions. It's actually temperature controlling – the increase in temperature that right. they say is taking place, which, by the way, is widely disputed. There's a lot of evidence that the planet's not warming, uh, that over the larger span of human history, uh, it, it's, it's very much in its normal cycle. But the goal is we are going to restrict the increase in temperature by 1.5 degrees Celsius, which is like, what, two and a half uh, degrees Fahrenheit, um, as if we control that. There's no variance. The sun has no influence. Um, you know, other changes in the climate have no influence. Somehow we can control that. I mean, it's, it's an absurd premise, but their solution is to ban 
products and change our lifestyle uh, in the name of this threat that they claim and have been saying for 30 years uh, is going to envelop us. They want to impose real penalties today that average Americans will have to face yeah. for speculative and hypothetical damage 20 years from now. I mean, that's what I think is so damning and damaging about the premise of what they're trying to do. And actually, I mean, think about this. Like, so we talked about during the pandemic, it became very clear that the way you can live one reality in one state is going to be different than the way you can live realities in other states. I think it's about to happen with climate change policies. Also, we've seen in cities like London, you can't drive in downtown London with a certain type of vehicle. California is banning the sale of gasoline powered vehicles. So we're talking about like things that impact Americans freedoms. Yeah. And therefore their lifestyles. Yeah. And I think it's, and if, if we kind of want to connect it to a COVID thing, I think what they're attempting to do is introduce the premise that if you use fossil fuels, you are part of the problem and therefore you must pay for the solution. Yeah, exactly. And and by the way, not just the fossil fuels. Um, at one of the events, the livestock industry organized a panel in what is called, quote unquote, sustainable beef. <laughs> So all you people out there that like cheeseburgers, you like steaks, T-bone steaks, et cetera, um, that's now under fire because they want you to eat meat substitutes. Um, and then, of course, they're, they're the really eventful things that make a huge difference. Apparently, at one point, protesters smeared their white jumpsuits with fake oil and juggled inflated globes of a planet Earth in an oversized frying pan. That's how you know they're full of it right there, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. It's because they smeared themselves in fake oil. Where, where's the real thing? Right, right. <laughs> where's the commitment? <laughs> That's right. No, I, I think it's um, it's really bad. But I also think here's here's like a big picture thing. If uh, you are part of the problem, then you have to pay for the solution. Right. Right. And um, and if if people if enough people are making money on the solution, then the problem will never actually go away. That's what I think is actually the, the real challenge here. Right. Like you're essentially saying, hey, this is a thing. The only way we can combat this problem is to dramatically overhaul the way that Everyone in this country has done their life, even though countries like China and India, they're not really going to make any changes there. Uh, And basically, you have to continue to do this until we tell you we're not going to make you do anymore. But we're never going to tell you not to do anymore because then we admit that the whole thing's a scam and the people that have made money off of it have to stop making money off. And that's not going to happen. Yeah. And speaking of people making money off of this, uh, one of the people that addressed um, this fine August body when they were not jumping around in frying pans with little globes with oil smeared on their jumpsuits, uh, one of the people that addressed this very important conference was Al Gore. Yep. Now, Al Gore has been on this since the early 90s, saying the world's going to come to an end for uh, going on 30 years now. Um, and, you know, put your money where your mouth is. Al Gore, of course, when he lost the presidential election in 2000, uh, opened up an investment fund. Um, and what's interesting about this fund uh, is where they put their dollars. Uh, before I get to that, I do have to make one point. Al Gore went into business with an investment broker guy named David Blood. So literally, this firm is run by Blood and Gore. 
I mean, I just think that's fantastic. You know, you think of all the Wall Street images of like the really aggressive Gordon Gecko. He got nothing on blood, blood and, gore. and gore. No, it's um, it's an interesting pairing. Yeah. But anyway, he runs this investment fund. He has now for more than 20 years uh, called Millennium Generation. Uh, they've got a global equity fund, among others. And so you're thinking, OK, Al Gore is saying we've got to phase out oil. We've got to get rid of carbon emissions. We've got to invest in alternative forms of energy. He's investing billions of dollars in this investment fund. He's investing in green new renewable energy, right? That would be my assumption. Yeah. Yeah. The assumption. Well, no. In fact, uh, Bloomberg uh, ranked the Generation Fund, which has $40 billion under management, as among the companies that own the greatest share of greenhouse gas emissing emissions firms. And when you look at the biggest holdings in the investment portfolio of his investment firm, Microsoft, Amazon, Applied Materials, Thermo Fisher Scientific, Train Technologies, these are tech firms, these are construction firms. Uh, there is not a renewable energy company to be found. So while Al Gore is telling the world in this speech, he said, we need private equity investment in investing in green energy firms. We need government doing so with taxpayer money. He's telling everybody to do that. He's not actually doing it himself. And I think this is unfortunately just consistent with how people on both sides of the aisle talk about green energy in the United States specifically. I'll never forget the first book that you had that was a massive success that helped actually launch our organization, the Government Accountability Institute, was called Throw Them All Out. And Throw Them All Out, we talked about insider trading, how members of Congress were essentially profiting off of their positions based on information they had, and they were trading, buying stocks to make money off of it as a result. But also in that book, was, I think, maybe the, the most interesting uh, and relevant information today, which is how they decided to give away money for green energy investment. This is the Obama administration. And I think it's like, so if, to the extent that the Biden administration is still the Obama administration, same people, same mentality, same business model, if you like, the Obama business model for how choosing how to invest in green energy wasn't very scientific, and it certainly wasn't very <laughs> environmentally beneficial. Right. Right. It was it was really about giving money to the people that helped finance Barack Obama's campaign. In fact, if you looked at the companies that got sustainable green energy loans or grants, eight out of 10 of them had been not just Obama donors, they'd actually been on his finance committee. They, they These were the people that were investing in these firms. And back then, of course, it was about solar and all the technologies we know well. But there's a new effort afoot. Um <laughs> I'm going to let you describe it because the I, to me, the idea seems so insane. It's carbon capture. In other words, we can't, you know, limit emissions as much as we want to. That was the goal. Which, by so, the way, even people like Al Gore will like real environmentalists, which I don't know if Al Gore is a real environmentalist no, in his portfolio. No, no. But the but the real environmentalist types, right, would say that carbon capture is a cop out. Because you're conceding that we're going to continue to produce carbon as part of a. In other words, fuel. you're a realist. <laughs> I mean, that's the <laughs> way I would look at. It. You're a realist. But they would also say that there's a lot of problems with the idea. You're just there. Well, describe it first. Carbon capture. What is carbon capture? So the a, solution. That so there's a lot pushing. of different aspects of it. Some people would. You, some models are going to go and try to capture the carbon in the air and the pollution after it comes out of a smokestack. Some try to capture it earlier in the process. But essentially, you're capturing carbon, preventing it from going to the atmosphere, and then you take the co2 the liquefied carbon and you basically funnel it through a pipe and mm -hmm. you're going to bury it in the ground somewhere <laughs> so you're taking gas you're mixing it with a chemical yeah right and you're going to put it 
underground in these large caverns, caverns, you're capturing the carbon. And in Iowa, like the government's actually seizing people's land to be able to build these pipelines to do this. And environmentalists would say, well, we have some slight problems here because sometimes the pipes create small leaks. And turns out if you have CO2 escaping from a pipe without anybody detecting it, it's not ideal for environmental conditions. But like, but these are the types of solutions that they're wanting to explore and invest in. And when we say invest, we mean like real things. We did a podcast a year ago about how tech companies like Google and Facebook are, are raising lots and lots of money. This is a, an industry that's literally exploding right now, hopefully right. not literally exploding <laughs> with CO2 leaks, but right. um, is exploding because the government's saying this is what we're going to help incentivize and we you know we're encouraging you to invest in this and it's becomes a thing where they're saying like well they're funding this the same way they research they funded research for vaccines and diseases and i think what just is concerning to me is we just lived through the covid era yeah. where we were essentially all told you are potentially a walking problem Right. right. Like to right. me, that's why COVID was such a watershed moment. We, it changed the social contract. And then you now have the, just by your existence and your breathing, have the ability to negatively impact my health. And so you have to do something about that. Yeah. Right. We're I'm going to force you yeah. to do something about that. And I think that that's essentially the same social model they're mm-hmm. trying to implement on us now with this climate change epidemic. Hey, you person, hey, you company, you have to spend money so that we can go out and collect this thing now to solve a hypothetical problem down the road. A hypothetical problem, by the way, of no actual evidence we'll be able to solve. Yeah. And and the other thing is, I mean, I'm not a geologist. I'm not an energy expert by any means. But there is this always this problem with, you know, people that are ostensibly very smart. They're very technically knowledgeable and, and, uh, you know, come up with great inventions, great tech ideas is they never think of the unintended consequences of what they're doing. And the idea that you're going to take carbon, you're going to mix it with a chemical, you're going to pump it underground, that's not going to have any un- unintended consequences. By the way, these are the same people who were saying fracking, right? When you're extracting natural gas is like this dangerous destabilizing thing that's going to cause earthquakes. But we're going to pump this gas and these chemicals underground. Um, there's not going to be any leaks. There's not going to be any earthquakes. There's not going to be any problems. It's just ridiculous to me, like the vaccines that you mentioned. There was this mad rush. We've got to do this. We've got to do this. It's, it's a crisis. And now we're doing dealing with the circumstances where there are questions being raised. People are having some ill effects from um, from vaccines. They're not, it, you know, they're not as effective as people thought they were going to be. And yet we're going to take billions of dollars, uh, conduct this massive geological experiment by pumping all this stuff underground, and everything's going to be fine because we're smart and we figured it out. It's just insane. I mean, let's, I think the the sense of urgency that's being created by yes. comments like John Kerry is like, oh, this is the last chance we have because <laughs> otherwise we're all dead in 30 years. Right? These island nations are going to be underwater. We it's can't. The last chance. How often do they hold this? this Every problem? year. So this is the last chance. So we've got a year is basically every, what Al Gore is saying. Every year. And then they, like, they, they fight over who gets to host. <laughs> Azerbaijan like finally won. For, they get to host it next year. <laughs> it's like, it's like Russia kept killing all the other prospects of right, what, where they're right. going to do it. But um, I think the false sense of urgency leads to like we, nobody being able yes. to take a step back and say, wait, wait a minute. What are we actually talking about doing? Because just to be clear, I mean, this is why I actually respect uh, other leaders who I'm not sure they – totally deserve your respect but like the president of this group the president of cop 28 is uh sultan al jaber and a uae gentleman who heads up their state-owned oil company oh nice so leave it to him to introduce a little bit of 
counterbalance to like the environmental fervor. By the he, way, for him, th- this is a perfect solution because if you think about it, they're pumping oil. Mm-hmm. And rather than getting rid of oil production, let's just get the rich West to pay, but basically buy off the poor countries that they claim are being affected by this. And we can keep pumping oil. It's a perfect solution. And it doesn't cost them anything because we're going to well, be paying for it. I have you, I'll have you know, they've contributed a hundred million dollars oh, to the lost okay. deficit funds first. Okay. Of all, okay. Sir. okay. Okay. Uh, forgive, forgive yeah. me. Forgive me. But he did. He said, there's no science <laughs> that he ca- it causes big uproar, right? They probably right. doused themselves with more fake oil after he said, <laughs> there is no scientific basis for a phase out of fossil fuels to maintain this one and a half degree standard right so he's saying that because he's an oil guy right and by the way of the seventy thousand people that are at this conference a record number of fossil fuel lobbyists are also showing up so you're start- i think they're starting to take seriously that what the decisions that get made at these accords have real right. consequences and so the fossil fuel people are starting to say look no we need to have a seat at this table because what you guys are proposing is insane yeah <laughs> and it yeah. doesn't make sense and that's why i like respect China even a little bit because at least China's like, look, man, this isn't, we're not going to do this. this is, <laughs> you guys are crazy. Now, we're not here's, doing now, here's this. what we will do. We will encourage the United States to do this because when the United States does this, and you talked about this and throw them a lot too, when the United States goes all in on green technology, they got to buy our stuff. They, yeah. China's yeah. the one that owns it. And oh, by yeah. the way, how does China make their green energy technology? Using coal-fired plants and other non-clean technology to produce the stuff that we buy to make ourselves feel better about this presumed existential climate crisis. Like, yeah. that's what's happening. Yeah. Well, I tell you, what what COP needs to do to prove that they're serious about this, that this is not just a fraud and a sham, they need to do a number of things. Either, number one, they need to just hold this annual meeting over Zoom, right? Instead of taking all these private jets and meeting somewhere, 70,000 people to do that. Think of the carbon footprint. So that's one option. The second option is, okay, you've had it in Dubai. You've had it in Paris. Have it in Newark, New Jersey. Show us that this is not just about networking and having fun and living a luxurious life, especially for these people from developing world countries. Meet in Newark, New Jersey, or meet in Vanuatu. I mean, in other words, meet at the location, convince us and show us that you're actually committed to this based on principle. This is not some sham reason uh, for you to go jet setting and and network with people in some exotic location. Here's what I love about that, because if you really do want to prove that you're willing to sacrifice to try to combat climate change yeah you'll take the subway in new jersey for sure <laughs> that is absolutely like do that and i believe you right exactly no limos <laughs> al gore get on the subway like, i don't know if newark has a subway but they, you know anyway public transportation mm-hmm. they should take public transportation well thing to always keep in mind is it's 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 fun to laugh about this stuff um because it is so ridiculous but it has real world consequences and their goal is to change your life because of their claim that this is affecting everybody on the planet and it's essentially your fault. So they want to change the way you drive. They want to change what you eat. They want to change the temperature in your home. They want to change the size of the lifestyle that you live, the products that you buy, all in the name of this abstract claim that they can control the rise in temperatures globally and realize that it's not just a laughing matter. It has very real consequences. They want to let their buddies make money off of a problem they're telling is your fault. So therefore, they're going to sell you a solution that you'll pay for. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly it. And that's where we are. So keep this in mind. We're going to keep watching this. As you know, we've done several podcasts on the business model behind the climate change uh, issue and the fact that so many very wealthy people are cashing in on this crisis. And we will keep covering this for you. 
As always, we appreciate you joining us. Um, we know your time is valuable, so thank you for listening. You can find our research materials at thedrilldown.com, and you can find this podcast wherever fine podcasts are located. Thanks again for joining us. Until next time.